Father, we are all in the process of growth. Every person in this room, we have stuff. And we have stuff we need to work on. And we have stuff we've tried to work on and failed so many times. And so we're asking today that you work on our stuff. That you work on the things in our life where we need to change. Where we need to crank it up. Heart areas that need broken and healed. Dead areas that need life breathed into them. So we're depending on you today to meet us right where we are. We thank you for our campuses. We thank you for Wilkinsburg, and we thank you for Washington, and we thank you for Robinson, and we thank you for those joining us online, and we thank you for each person here. And Father, together in these different locations, we now can pray to you together as your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 4. Let me set the context. We're going to look at a story today, work our way through the story, and then some application at the end. Popularity of Jesus was growing. Remember last time we saw him in John chapter 3 doing miraculous signs in Jerusalem? People started noticing those. They started coming to him. So he had two groups that take notice. One group was the people of Israel who said he might be the Messiah. The other group were the religious, was the religious leaders, and they said, we need to get rid of him. And so Jesus, because of the popularity, one group wanting to make him king by force, one group wanting to put him to death, he leaves Jerusalem and goes back to his home area where he does about two years of his three-year ministry in the area of Galilee. In chapter 4, verse 4, an interesting statement. Now, he had to go through Samaria. That's an interesting statement that he had to go through Samaria. If we look at a map, it helps us out. Jesus is here in Jerusalem, and he's going to go back up to this area in Galilee. Nazareth is there, his hometown. Capernaum is there where he headquarters his ministry. Normally, you would think that if you're going to go through to Galilee, you'd go straight up through Samaria. But if you were a Jew, you hated the Samaritans. There was hatred, intense hatred for many years. In 722 BC, the Assyrians had come in. They had, they had captured the northern kingdom of Israel. The Assyrians had taken, some commentators say, about 30,000 Jews uh, and put them in different areas of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians had also taken foreign people and brought them back and placed them, planted them in this middle area of Palestine. They left the Jews that were weak and Jews that were poor. Those Jews married, intermarried people who came in. They intermarried foreigners. So there was a mixed blood, and that really irritated uh, those in Israel because they wanted the pure Jewish race to continue. Also, there was mixed religion, which often happens in uh, 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 marriages where a pagan uh, marries someone of another religion. And so you had these mixed religions. 
the uh, Samaritans kept the aspect of the worship of God, and then pagan worship came in as well. And so you had a synchronism, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And the Jews who said, we want to worship God, we don't like that. And so there was this intense hatred for many years. And so if you were in Jerusalem and you wanted to go to Galilee, you would go over here, you would go out of your way not to go through Samaria. You would go across the Jordan, you would go up the east side of the Jordan and then cross back over here. In the New Testament, this area here is called Perea. And so you would make your way through Perea back into Israel or back into Galilee uh, in the north. Jesus, we see, had to go through Samaria. And there was a reason for that. He had an appointment there. Look at verses four and five or five and six rather. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. By Jewish reckoning of time, this would have been around noon. Jesus had probably been walking and his disciples had been walking about six or seven hours by this point. They were extremely tired. It was noon, the heat of the day. Jesus sits down by a well to rest. It's interesting, John always gives us the human side of Jesus. There's also that divine side as well, fully God, fully man. He sits down by a well to rest. His disciples go into town, Sychar, probably about three miles away, to buy some food. And while Jesus is there, someone comes to see him. She is a woman. And she comes to draw water. That was the job of women in that day. Normally, they would go out in the morning and draw water for the day, and they would go out in the evening and draw water for the night and then the next morning. But this woman comes by herself at noon. It's interesting, isn't it? I want you to picture this woman. Don't think of her in some of the pictures you've seen Growing up, if you went to Sunday school, this woman is, um, is neither young nor attractive. She's been worn down by life, and she looks years older than her age. We'll learn later, she's been married five times and is now in a, in a living together relationship. Maybe she um, entered the first two or three marriages, maybe the first one or two, with some hope, but that hope is gone. She is now a domestic slave, an in-house prostitute. She stays with the man until they get tired of her, and then they, uh, they kick her on the, out on the streets with her few belongings. Either her family was gone or they had disowned her long ago. There's no alimony or government assistance in this day. And so she goes out looking for a man who is looking for a woman like her. And uh, there, there are always those kinds of men, aren't there? She's been with many men between her marriages and her present living together, sex without commitment, is, uh, is frowned upon, not only by Scripture, but by the society. Look at her clothes. They are worn, and they are old, 
and they are dirty. More than one tooth has been knocked out of her mouth. There are hence bruises all over her body. She's broken in spirit. She's emotionally worn down. Remember in chapter 3, Nicodemus, when he came, he was the best Israel had to offer, a teacher, wealthy, member of the ruling class. This woman is on the other end of the scale. If you, uh, if you used a word to describe your life, she would have used tattooed on her forehead. With her reputation and what was left of her self-esteem, she didn't come at six in the morning to draw water. And she didn't go at night because that's when the other women were there. And she didn't want those sneering looks, those turn backs, that judgment on her sin. So can you imagine her shock when this man sitting by the well asks for a drink? Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John reminds us in parentheses, the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This woman says exactly what's on her mind. She always does through her conversation with Jesus. She has discarded any semblance of propriety long ago. There's a bit of sarcasm, even bitterness in her voice when she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and you're asking me for a drink. You know the Jews think Samaritans are the scum of the earth and look at me. In case you didn't notice, I'm a woman and women are not addressed by men in public that is politically incorrect. Remember verse 4? Jesus, what he said, he had to go through Samaria. He went there specifically for this appointment with the broken and beaten woman. Listen to his words. Jesus answered her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked, that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water if you only knew. Jesus says, who I am. I wouldn't be asking you for a drink. You'd be asking me for the gift of eternal life. This living water that I could give you. I could give you significance. I could give you security. I could give you acceptance. I could give you forgiveness. I could give you the empowerment that would allow you to live a life of obedience, not to go back into that life of immorality and sin. If you only knew, you wouldn't be asking me for well water. You'd be asking me for living water. As she sat down that heavy jar, this woman could only think of the importance of the well. Look at verses 11 and 12. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it, from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? According to the 
Jewish historian Josephus, the Samaritans traced their lineage back to Jacob. Jacob was the father of their religion, and specifically through his son Joseph and his sons Ephraim and Manasseh. So this well, they went to draw water, not only was a place that you got water, but it had religious significance. Joseph, the founder of their religion, dug that well. His sons drank from that well. Their religious system was built on the man who dug the well. And she says, you think you are greater than the one whose lineage we trace our heritage back to? You think you're greater than, than Jacob? In Greek, the question expects a negative answer. There's absolutely no evidence that this woman has, has any uh, spiritual meaning in her immoral life. And yet her religious tradition was blinding her from seeing opportunity for new life. Let me say that again. Maybe some of you are in that same boat. There's no indication that this lady is living with any hint of spiritual meaning in her life. And at the same time, her religious system that she's built around her that has no meaning, that means nothing, that religious system is blinding her from seeing Jesus. You know anyone like that? Jesus said to her, I am not talking about well water. Look at verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of, of water welling up to eternal life. That Greek word welling up is a, is a powerful word, a vigorous word. It means leaping up. Th this water I can give you, it will leap up in you. It will change you from the inside out. It will give you everything you have been looking for. This water I give you will change your life and it will change your eternity. It will give you abundant life now and it will keep welling up all the way through eternity, all the way to eternal life. This is a water that produces eternal life. The living water that Jesus uses there is a figure of speech he is using for the work he came to do. He came to die on a cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. His work on the cross there as he bore our sins in his body on the cross and died for them and then was raised back to life. That's the living water that changes everything. And the woman says, fantastic. Give me some. If I don't have to keep coming out here to this well, that's all the better. This jar is heavy and it's real heavy when it's filled with water. So, so give me some of that living water you're talking about. Receiving that living water begins, however, with an admission. It's more than just not wanting to be thirsty anymore. It's more than some temporal issue. It begins with an admission of an issue in our heart. And so Jesus gets to the point. Look at verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, well, you got that right. You have no husband. 
The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you live with now is not your husband. A little sense of humor here from Jesus, which is often in his teaching. When you said it, that's true. You have no husband. Jesus gets to the point. You know, you can hide from a lot of people. You can hide from your spouse. You can hide from those you work with. You can hide from your children. Children, you can hide from your parents. You can fondle secret sin. And some people can live their entire life with secret sin. But you cannot hide your heart from Jesus. We stand bare before him. He sees it all. So if you're not willing to be transparent before others, doesn't matter. You are transparent before Jesus. And if you come to him and recognize your sin, Jesus said, man, I want to take that stagnant, putrid, stale water of the old life, and I can give you water that is invigorating and that is fresh, that will impact you right now and will impact you all the way to eternity. What about you? What about you? Are you still drinking that old salt water that makes you nauseated and continues to make you thirsty? It's the water of the world. It's the water that says a little more money. That'll satisfy me. Another woman. That'll satisfy me. The screen full of pornography, that'll satisfy me. The list goes on. And Jesus says, there's nothing that will satisfy you except me. I am the living water. Look at verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Now, there's some different views as to what this woman is really getting at. Some believe this is kind of an offhand comment. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me then if you're so smart, where's the place to worship? Here in Mount Gerizim, where we have our temple, the Samaritans are down there in Mount Zion in Jerusalem where you have your temple. Other commentators say, nah, it was getting a little too personal. And so she deflected the conversation to general religious talk. Well, Anna, I, I don't know. I, I'm not even sure there's a God. See, if you will, if you will convince me there's a God, then uh, may, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about uh, this living water. See, I'm so smart and intellectual that I don't, I don't think in the normal, simple faith that you do. Come on. Come on. I'm up here. So, so let's talk about, you know, Religion. Maybe there's, another, uh, maybe there's another thing she's doing. Here's what I kind of think she's doing. I, I, I think she's saying, you know what? I've been taught all my life, all my immoral life, that Mount Gerizim is the place to worship, that, that Samaritans have this place to worship here in, in Samaria. And you Jews... 
You say it's down there in Zion. Where can I go meet God? You tell me. You know my heart. You're a prophet. You have insight. No one else told you that. So tell me, where can I go? Where can I go meet this, meet with God? Look at verse uh, 21. One commentator says, this is the most definitive, most important, the clearest teaching on the theme of worship in the New Testament. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's not a place where you worship. You Samaritans worship what you do not have. We worship what we do have for salvation is from the Jews. The Messiah is going to come through the Jewish people. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says God is spirit. You don't go to a building to worship him. You don't go to a church to pray. You don't have to go to a stained glass area with an expensive organ and high ceilings to really feel the presence of God. God is with you all. He is spirit. He lives within us when we trust in Christ. And wherever we are, we are to worship him all the time at all times. It's not that we come and sing some songs and that's worship. That's like the turbocharge to get us ready for the week. It's Monday morning. It's Tuesday afternoon. Worship is a demonstration of my love for God by appropriately responding to his person, work, and word in every area of my life. Let me say that one more time. Worship is an active demonstration of my love for God by appropriately responding to who he is, what he's done, and what he says, spirit and truth, in every area of my life. Last time we talked about congregational worshipers who dress up and go to church and sing a few songs and listen to a message and then head across the street in Washington to Union Grill for lunch. That's not what a worshiper does. God desires a convictional worshiper who is just as committed to worship God on Monday morning as they are on Sunday morning. Just as committed to leave in Wilkinsburg, just as committed to leave Wilkinsburg after Ted has led you in great music and walk out of there in the streets of Wilkinsburg and demonstrate that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Worship in spirit and in truth. Look at verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. By the way, the Samaritans only uh, read the first five books of the Bible. And I won't take time, but just jot down uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15 through 18. That verse, they thought, was the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Their Messiah was going to be a, kind of a, like Moses, a, a teacher leader to, to come and get them out of their mess. I know that the Messiah is coming. John reminds us in Greek, it's called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything. And then Jesus looked right her, her right in the eye. And said what? I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. Jesus looked that broken woman right in the eye. And said you don't need to wait for one more second. I am the one you have been waiting for. 
Let me wrap this up with a, some application. Nothing profound, just some reminders. We see in this passage that every believer, every believer, not some, no asterisks here, no exceptions, every believer is commanded to share Jesus Christ. It's interesting that as soon as this woman heard, I am the one you've been waiting for, she runs into the town and she starts telling everybody about this Jesus. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he really is the one. Look at verse, look at verse uh, uh, 28. Leaving her water jar, she went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Can't you imagine some of the men are saying, oh my goodness. Did he mention any names? Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. They made their way to see Jesus. Later on, the disciples came back and they brought the food. And Jesus said, I don't need the food right now. My food is to... My food is to do the will of God. Look at verse 34. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? A proverbial saying of the day. When you plant the crops about four months later, they, they, they spring up and you harvest them. So proverbial saying was four months and then the harvest. Jesus said, that's what we say, but look around you. You don't have to wait four months. Right now, spiritually speaking, it is ripe for harvest. Look around you. The, the people of the town came and Jesus spoke to them. And Jesus told them he was the Messiah. And, and, and look uh, what he says at the end of verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now know for ourselves. We've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the what? The savior of the world. We know on our own because this woman went back and told them. This immoral woman shared the message of Jesus Christ. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you shared Jesus Christ with someone? Seriously? See, being a Christian is not just about coming and, and learning theology. When was the last time you were so excited about your... This, this woman was so excited about meeting the one who gave her living water. She couldn't keep it in. Jesus said, look around. It is ripe for harvest. You have people all around you who need the living water. Some of them look like Nicodemus. Some of them look like the Samaritan woman. But each of them need the living water. When was the last time you shared the message with Jesus Christ? Of Jesus Christ, with someone in your life. 2013 Barna Report said this, 82% of people who don't go to church would if someone would invite them. But it's a lot easier just talking about the Steelers, isn't it? That's comfortable. 
When was the last time to a neighbor, a friend, family member, you said, there is something burning in my heart so hot. I have to tell you. I don't care if you're offended. I don't care what you say. This is about eternal life. Last time. You see, worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about dressing up, coming to church. A lot of times, we, here we do it at the Bible chapel, we go overseas and share, right? And that's cool. We go to Mathari slums in Nairobi, Kenya. If you've never been there, you need to. We go to Panama. We go to Haiti. We go to Honduras. And we share the message of Jesus Christ. And and we do that, and I and I gotta tell you, some of the some of the richest ministry I've had is 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 in, in the Mthari slums. But I got a question. Sometimes in our day, that's a buzz for Christians. If they say, Oh, I went over and served overseas, I shared the gospel with with a little boy from Honduras, and he trusted in Christ. I went and dug a water well in Africa. I'm over in the Atari slums. That's the real. That's that's where it's really needed. That's where the gospel is really needed, right? Seriously. Do you think it's by coincidence that John puts chapter three before chapter four? Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. You know what John says? It doesn't matter if you live in a palace or a shack. It doesn't matter if you are white or black. It doesn't matter what continent you live on. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are the teacher of Israel or a woman who has teeth missing because one of her five husbands abused her. Without Jesus Christ you will spend eternity in hell. Do we get that? We need to be as adamant about those people overseas, and we, and we want to do that, and we do that. We need to be as adamant about the people living in the houses across the street because those people in those palaces and those people in those dirt floor shanties will spend eternity in hell without Jesus Christ. And it's not enough for us to go on a few mission trips a year and not share with the people across the street in our lives. That doesn't work. And we, we can talk about spiritual growth all day long. We can talk about being a Bible church all day long. But if we're not sharing the message of Christ, we're leaving out a significant part of his command to us. So we got a guy here at the church Mark Picnic. He is invited. I'm not a wagering man, but I would bet. Mark has invited more people to church than about all of us put together. Last week, Mark told me as, as we were leaving that he invited about 40 to 50 people to the night of worship and told them to meet him at a pizza place. Food always works. 
told them to meet him at a pizza place, that he would buy the pizza and they would go to the night of worship. Now, Mark knows, as we all know, it's not about coming to church. It's about Jesus Christ, but he has a passion to share Christ with others. When did we lose the passion? When did we lose the passion? And that's something we need to pray for. God, give me the passion to share this message of Christ. Give me as much passion to share Jesus as I'm going to have today at 4 o'clock, 4.25, when Indianapolis is playing the Steelers. Because I'm going to tell you something. As much as I love the Steelers, there's not one of them. Not one of them who can deliver the living water. Second, not only do we have the responsibility, but the, uh, the harvest is ripe. Every person needs Jesus. Some of you here today may relate more like Nicodemus from last time. You're top of your game. Man, you got, you're doing well in business. Got your challenges. Who doesn't? But you're doing well. Car you want to drive, house you want to live in, second house, third car, boat, you name it. You got it coming, man. It's great. You can relate to Nicodemus. You need Jesus. Because you know the emptiness at the top of any game. Or maybe you can relate more to the Samaritan woman. You've had a tough life. And you are broken. And you're not proud of every decision you've made. You may be in an immoral situation right now. And you need Jesus. High moral standing, seemingly, or immorality. Only Jesus can deliver the living water. And he offers it to you today as a free gift. And I challenge you not to leave here today until you have received the free gift that Jesus desperately wants to give you. Remember that verse? Jesus had to go through Samaria for a divine appointment. See, I believe God has a divine appointment for you here today. You had to be here. Could have been a lot of other places. And he wants to meet you. And he's offering you something that will change your life. And we encourage you to accept it today.